0: Seers, Doomsayers, Visionaries, Fools, Victims, Perpetrators. It is no coincidence that their symbol is that of a shattered mirror, for few clans struggle as much with their own self-image, their own identity, as the clan of Malkov. Once they were equals with the Ventru, master politicians ruling an empire together with the Bluebloods and strengthened by their prophetic visions. Now they are feared and shunned, considered a liability in a time where cell phone cameras and live streaming can make a minor masquerade breach explode online and call the Second Inquisition down upon you. The Malkavians, more than most, realize the foolishness of guessing truths about their clan founder, and indeed about those who came before him. They are not even sure who of the three Childer of Cain embraced their antediluvian, finding arguments for all of them. It is speculated, however, that their grandsire was once a powerful visionary, a seer who could predict the future. This seer may have foreseen something that troubled the second generation, and they in turn beat him within an inch of his unlife, and this may have provoked the Thirteen to rise up against their sires. As punishment for his part in this, the seer was cursed with visions eternal, a shattered mirror of possibilities of branching futures and murky pasts, and naturally this drove him insane, as it did with his entire bloodline. Some believe it might even have been Lilith herself who is the cause of this condition, having told a great truth to the antediluvian that she shared not even with Cain. If this is true, then the truth was so powerful that it shattered Malkoff's mind forever. Others say that it was because Malkov tried to break free from creation's artificial barriers under the tutelage of Cain himself, and that the antediluvian was the closest to succeeding, at the cost of his ability to filter and interpret the world around him in a way that wouldn't drive him mad. Two other antediluvians were particularly close to Malkov, Saulot and Set. Saulot was a man of the physical world, Set of the spiritual. Malkov and Set came to a dispute, where Set claimed that truth exists only in the depths of one's soul, and that only through despair could it be drawn forward. In contrast, Malkov argued that truth was objective, existing outside of our bodies and souls, and perceivable to those who looked, even if they could only catch glimpses of it at times. It was the mind, Malkov argued, and not the soul, that would make sense of these glimpses and distorted truths. They both put forth their cases to Saulot, asking for him to affirm their beliefs, but he could not. Instead, he set out on a journey to discover which of his two brothers were right, and he gave his sword to Set, who in turn gave him a staff of thornwood, and his crown to Malkov, who had nothing to give but his blood. Using it, he painted an eye on Saulot's brow, to help guide him in his search. Malkov would never see his brother again, for he would be destroyed before the Salubris Antediluvian would return from his travels. Malkov's ultimate fate is not known, but he is believed to have been destroyed after leaving the second city for Petra. Who killed him is unknown, but it is commonly believed that while his physical body may have been destroyed, or at least brought to a deep state of torpor, he survives through his brood, connecting them all as neurons inside a brain, or nerves in a body. Others speculate that he rests beneath Petra, or even Jerusalem, attempting to guide his childer, but influencing the area with his broken mind to the point where none can avoid the madness should they reside there for too long. Some even believe that the Malkavians are all part of the Antediluvian, and that once he rises, he will consume them all so that he may once again be free. With their sire gone so early, the Malkavian Methuselah united their clan under them, strengthening their bonds to ensure the clan's survival without the protection of a founder. Wherever there were cities, there will be Malkavians, as the unique nature of these massive habitats of humanity seemed to attract the Cassandras like moths to flame. Perhaps there was some respite for the Malkavians' penchant for introspection that drew them to the myriad of impressions, emotions and minds, as if to drown out their own inner voice with that of those around them. The Malkavians found great joy in Greece, and the budding sciences and philosophies that sprung from it. Although the clan at the time was still relatively small in comparison to the others, they learned much from the great thinkers of the time. Small sects and faiths sprung up around the Methuselahs of the clan, and their ability to predict the future, and to see into the minds of mortals. Sybil, claiming to be a goddess of fertility, was one of them, as was the Dionysian, who impersonated the Greek god Dionysus. North Africa, however, turned out to be hostile lands for the Mulcavians, and they were never able to settle in the region. Indeed, it is said that an entire branch of the clan was lost in the city-state of Carthage, perpetually sacrificed in Baal's fires. Something unknown, something monstrous, devoured all Mulcavians it could find in Africa, and thus they left the continent, speaking little of what hunted them. Rome is the pinnacle of Malkavian achievement, and a testament to what the clan could achieve were they to find their place in kindred society. Camilla, the Ventrue Prince of Rome, knew of the power within the Malkavian's sight, and thus respected them, offering them positions in his court, and allowing them to share in the riches of the growing empire. And for a time there was a balance in Rome, and the clans thrived. But as news of Carthage, of the Bruja and Assamites' attempt at a new city where kindred ruled over kine reached the ears of Rome, a fear began to fester, and with it, envy. Rumors abound about the nature of Carthage, some claiming it home to demon worshippers, other of mad cults offering their children to the dark gods. Camilla, already concerned with the growing rival to Rome, went to Tryphosa, a Malkavian seeress whom he had high faith in. She, in turn, warned him of what was to come, should he not crush Carthage beneath his heels. Whether this was a true prophecy, or merely Trifosa manipulating the venture into action, is unknown, but Camilla believed her words. He drove Rome to seek to not only defeat, but to destroy Carthage utterly, and they succeeded, salting the earth where it had once stood and leaving nothing to be rebuilt. For a time, the Malkavians were respected for their contributions to Rome's greatness, but as one emperor replaced another, and as mortal politics became more and more corrupt and inefficient, the blame was quickly cast upon the seers. Perhaps it was them, or perhaps it was the generations of less and less subtle manipulation performed upon the mortals that had finally caught up with them. A conclave of Malkavians gathered in an attempt to save what could be saved, But they were all slaughtered, burned by fire even as they held court. One can only speculate the cause of this. But perhaps it was misguided vengeance enacted against the perceived cause of Rome's fall. But Rome fell, not with a bang, but with a whimper, and so the clans dispersed across the lands. The period that followed is called the Long Night by the Malcavians, and it was a time where they found themselves no longer honored in court, but feared. Respected, perhaps, but never invited. Listened to, but only reluctantly. As Christianity took root, foresight became the purview of witches and demon worshippers. As the Tremere slew soloth drinking deep of his blood, the Malkavians mostly chose not to act. As the Gangles and Timish urged the others to war on the usurpers, the children of Malkov stayed their hands. Did they know what Soloth had set in motion as his soul entered Tremere's? Perhaps. Or perhaps they believed the usurper's rightful heirs to Solid's vision and search for an answer. There was no cohesion in the clan of Malkov as the Anarch movement arose. It was every kindred for themselves, although elder Cassandras tended to lean more into the traditionalists who saw the Anarch cause as nothing but emptiness, brash youths barely old enough to know how to properly drink blood, denouncing the tyranny of elders they had never met. Yet, the revolt continued, until finally there was a meeting to propose peace, even as the fires of mortal pyres burned around the kindred. Malkavians were heavily punished during this time, for their gift of foresight, coupled with their shattered minds, often left them clear targets for the Inquisition's hunt. As the vampires flocked to thorns to attend the meeting there, so too did the Malkavians join them, hoping for a better future. Malkavians as a clan is designed around mental illness, called derangements in the game, and thus they have, through publications, been mishandled and written in varying levels of understanding of what mental illness actually entails. In this video and the next, I'm trying to present a clinical view of the Malkavians focus more on their history and internal clan structure, but in doing so, I have to touch on their tendency for mental illness. Mental illnesses are not visible like physical ones would be, and are often misunderstood. Those suffering from it may be ostracized by a society that can't or doesn't want to understand. If you want to play a Mokavian, I think you should. I don't believe in policing others' enjoyment, and I'm not going to talk about fish mocks, It's been done much better by others. I do suggest you research the mental illness you intend to play, however, and that you try your best. It shouldn't have to be said, but every human being is a person first and foremost, and should be treated as such, regardless of their state of health. Just like how other vampires are more than a flat, one-dimensional stereotype, Mulcavians are much more than their illness, and should be played as such. If you, or someone close to you, is suffering from mental illness, don't suffer alone. There is no shame in reaching out, and it can potentially save a life. There are links in the description to different sites who can direct you to the help you need. We are humbled by the patronage of two most ancient beings, the Methuselah Storyteller Nylon, ancient and powerful, and Aubrey Ayres, whose wisdom transcends the boundaries of our understanding. We are truly blessed to be advised by these demigods. The Primogen Council would also like to welcome three new kindred to its folds, Joining the August Maximilian S. Hardcastle at the table are Council Members Snow, 06, and Stonewolf, 18. Your wisdom, experience, and good judgment shall be the torchlight by which we conduct our affairs. Our elders Dante the Canine, What's That Smells Is Blood, and Remy Van Roy likewise receive our gratitude for their support and wise counsel. And we would also wish to thank the Ancillae, Edward Reed, Colin Gifford and Harry Wyckoff for their support. Finally, our stalwart neonates receive our appreciation for their continued support. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.